0: of Galatians, galloping through Galatians, and uh, I wanted to make mention too, next Sunday um, we're handing out this little book, it's called Christmas Uncut, what really happened and why it really matters, and so next Sunday every family will get one of these, and it's a great little book to read leading into Advent. And so be looking for that next Sunday, Christmas Uncut. Um, and also be thinking next Sunday, as we said, there's no Wednesday night Thanksgiving Eve service, but next Sunday will our service will have a Thanksgiving theme. So be thinking about, maybe God puts on your heart, something that you're really thankful for because there will be time in the service to be able to share some of those Thanksgivings Uh, With one another. So be thinking about that. So we are in Galatians chapter 3. We've titled this The Man, the Message, and the Manner as overall the whole thing. Paul has been speaking to Gentile Christians in the area of Galatia um, who are new Christians. Those churches are new churches. And his mantra is his soapbox is Christ. Alone, alone. That's what what he's been saying to them over and over and over again. If he could speak, uh, if he could sing um, a song to them, it would be, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Do you know that one? Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That would be his song that he's been singing to them, and he'll continue to sing all the way through chapter 4. Blessed assurance, assurance of your salvation in Christ. And in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at, the word promise, uh, in my version, at least eight times it is said. So he wants us to zero in on the promise that God has made. Zero in on the promise that God has made. And we've gotten a little help from Warren Wiersbe. When he was looking at this passage of Scripture, he said, I see different arguments that that, uh, Paul is making here to give assurance that Christ is enough, Christ is sufficient. And the first two that we went through was a personal argument, and then we went through the scriptural argument. Today we're going to look at the logical argument, and then uh, next week we'll look at the historical and sentimental argument, and then the last week will be the allegorical argument. So Paul really takes two chapters to dive deep into the gospel to tell these Galatian Christians no, Christ alone, Christ alone for your salvation. So if we go to the scriptures right now, verse 15 is where we're at and it says brothers and I'll stop right there because if you look at verse one of chapter three, he started out, you foolish Galatians, you, you not understanding Galatians. But now when you get to verse 15, he says brothers. He says we're family. We're in this together. I'm a part of you. He changes his tone. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Here's the logical argument. He says, take a look at the promises that you make with one another. You make a promise to someone else. No one else can add to that. No one else can set that aside. It came out of your mouth. You're the one that spoke it. And you can't take it back. You, you know, the old saying, you can't put the toothpaste back into the, to the tube You know after it's said. He's saying, so this promise that God has made, no one can add to it. No one else can add to it. No one else can set it aside because God has said it. And so we need to look at this. Verse 16 he says, These, the promises, and there's the first time it's mentioned, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning plural there, meaning many people, but to your seed, so it's singular, meaning one person who is the Christ. So Paul takes this promise that God made to Abraham, And he said, there is a single seed. There's a certain seed that is going to come from Abraham. Now, Abraham is going to become part of a great nation. The the descendants are the stars in the skies and the sand on the seashore. But there's going to be a certain seed that comes from Abraham that is going to be a blessing to all the nations, every tribe and every tongue. There is a certain seed. And Paul just comes right and says, that is Christ. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the seed. And and so if we go back to Genesis, because that's where he's referring to, we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the fruit of the the certain tree, but they did. And then God spoke to Adam and Eve and the serpent. And in verse 15, when he's speaking to the serpent, he said, "And I will put enmity between you and the woman, you serpent and the woman, and and between your offspring or your seed and hers, he her seed will crush your head." Now, who is the seed that has crushed Satan's head? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And it ends and you will you will bruise his you will strike his heel. So what Paul is doing is saying That seed that has come from Abraham is Jesus Christ. And that's what God has said. You can't add to it. It can't be set aside. God has said this. Go on there from there. Um, And I, I did give you that, Genesis 22. Let me flip over there. Genesis 22, because God says this covenant, this promise to Abraham more than one time. And so another time that he says it is in Genesis chapter 22, starting at verse 17. God says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities uh, of their enemies and through your offspring or your seed, all nations, all nations on the earth will be blessed. There is a seed that's coming that will bless all nations because you have obeyed me. You have obeyed me. Now let's go back to our passage. So verse 17, he makes this distinction now. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. There's the second time. Paul's main point here is wait a minute, we've got a promise and we've got a law. And we need to keep the order right. The order is the promise of God has come first and the law has come second. And he even gives you that date. He said 430 years, 430 years. That's how, that's how the distance between what God had said in the promise to what God had added by the law. He can add, we can't. He added the law to it. How do we get the 430 years? Most people believe it's this reason, is that that covenant was not only said to Abraham, but then it was said to his son Isaac, and then it was said to his son Jacob. And when it's said to Jacob in Genesis chapter 46, you'll get the setting here. In Genesis chapter 46, starting in verse one, it says, so Israel, or Jacob, set out with all that he was, all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel, or Jacob, in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For I will make you into a great nation there. There's that covenant again, that promise made by God. I will go down to Egypt with you. And then he tells him something specific here. And I will surely bring you back again. So he's telling Jacob that He, he he's going to go down to Egypt for a while. But there is a time he's going to come back to this promised land. But then he says, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Have you seen that in the movie? when someone passes away and they, they close their eyes. So he tells them that he's also going to die. But, but, but Joseph, his son, will bring him back to the promised land. Now, when they go down into Egypt, they're there for about 400 years. And they're under the bondage of, of slavery to Pharaoh. God raises up a, a Moses, who is their deliverer, and says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And after they are delivered from the Egyptians, they go into the desert and they get to a place called Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up the hill of Mount Sinai. And what does he get there? He gets the Ten Commandments. He gets the law. So that's what Paul is referring I think most likely what Paul is referring to. 430 years after that last time the covenant was spoken to Jacob, 400 years later, then comes the law. Okay, verse 18. Verse 18, back to our passage, says this. For if if the inheritance depends on the law, then there is no longer depends on the promise. There's a third time. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Through a promise. What's the inheritance? The inheritance that was given to Abraham was righteousness. Righteousness was given to him because he believed in God. That's the inheritance. What Paul is saying, that does not come through the law. That comes through the promise of God. And I put down there, who is the giving one? If you look at that verse again, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham. Who's the giving one? God is the one who gives. If you think of that famous verse, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's the giving, he's the giving one. And then who spoke to who? That's another thing to point out there. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Who is the one that made the covenant? Who's the one that made the promise? God is the one who made that promise, not Abraham. God is the initiator of that promise. So we go to verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of, the, of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise, there's fifth time, referred, had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. So the law was added because of our sins. Because of our sins, we needed the law. And so God added the law. And when I think about that, I think about, I am so glad he did. In light of our, in light of the world, think of it. What if we didn't have the Ten Commandments? What if we, worldwide, what if we didn't have the Ten Commandments? doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. What if we didn't have the Ten Commandments? Those Ten Commandments, those words from God, those laws that he has given to govern us, and they help control us. And so, but... But he makes the point here that those were added because of our sin. That's what we bring to the table every single time. If I take you back to chapter 1, verse verse 4, when we looked at the gospel who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. He, He brought the law now into place for a specific reason because we are sinners. Now, that's not the only purpose because Paul's going to go a little bit farther here, verse 20, when it says, a mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. There's a difference between the law and the promise of God. The law of God needs a mediator. And so when we think of that story, we think of Moses. Moses is the mediator. Moses got it from God. But Moses has to go down and he has to say to the people, this is what God has said. And so throughout time, there's been these mediators. There's been the prophets that God has sent. And what did the prophets do? They told the people what God had said. And so the law needs a mediator. The law needs someone to interpret, to speak what is right and what is wrong. But then he says, God is one. The promise does not need that. Because the promise of God is made with you individually. To each and every one of you, it's made individually. There's a huge difference there. God speaks to you through that promise. He's spoken to you through that promise through his son, Jesus Christ. So that when your eyes are opened and you see him as the savior of the world, but also your savior, you now have a... And you accept that and you repent and you turn to him and you follow after him. Now you have a relationship with him. Paul wants them to see there's a huge difference between the law and the promise. He keeps going because he's not done. Verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? That's the sixth time. Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. He keeps coming back to this. If you remember, he kind of said the same thing in the end of chapter 2, verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Christ died for nothing. So can the law save? Absolutely not. There is not any single law that has been given that can save you. Verse 22, what can the law do? But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, there's the seventh time, being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. See, what can the law do? The law can not only tell us what is right and wrong, and it needs a mediator and able to do that, but the law also declares Jesus Christ. The law declares who the Savior is. The law declares the one who gets you out of prison. For you are a prisoner. It says a prisoner of sin. Uh, previously, we said you were under a curse of the law. And, and, and then we found out that who he died on a cross and he became the curse for us, kind of thing. So, so what does the law do? It is very important that we have the law because the law declares Jesus and points us to Jesus. Verse 23. He keeps going. But this faith came. We were, we were held prisoners by the law. Notice it says we. Paul includes himself in that statement. We, brothers, sisters we were prisoners to the law, me included, locked up until faith should be revealed. Now, on the broader sense, you would look at that when Jesus came. When Jesus came. But I think you could also look at this personally. Before this faith came to you, before this faith came to you, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed to you. To you that your eyes were opened and you saw Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Like like Lynette said this morning, I am so thankful that I am saved. I am so thankful that Jesus is my my Savior. When faith came to Lynette and she responded to that faith with belief that he is the Son of God, up to that point, we so we go from prisoner to freedom. We have freedom in him. That did not come by the law, it came through the promise. Verse 24, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law, I think in the version that we read together, it said guardian. Yeah, the law was our tutor or our guardian. Um, that, was a, that was a person, lots of times it was a, in their culture, it was a slave. A slave that actually took a person from point A to point B or actually took the children in, to their schools to make sure that they actually got there kind of thing. And, and they needed that at that time. They needed that guardian. They needed that tutor. They needed that person that would guide them to where they needed to go. And that's what the law did. The law became uh, watched over us. And I, I, I say again, I am so thankful that we have the law. We have the Ten Commandments. We have those things that, that watch over us completely as a, as a whole nation and world that we have. Verse 25, now that faith has come. And, and I would add, I would say again, you could read that. Now that faith has come to you, we, there's that we again, he's including himself, we are no longer under the supervision of of the law no longer under the supervision of the law the law did its work it pointed us to jesus christ but now jesus takes over it does not mean that the law is no longer there but now i follow jesus christ i don't just follow the law i don't follow it out of duty no now i have a relationship with jesus christ who is the one who perfectly followed the law and now what i do is because of Christ. It's not because of the law. It's not because of a right and a wrong. It's because I follow Jesus Christ. And, and that would echo back to Galatians 2.20 when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ as I who no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I, I live by faith. I don't live by the law. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ now, you, you do what you do because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Not because of any laws. Not because of the Ten Commandments. Not because of anything along those lines. And I'm not saying you throw, those things are there for a reason. But now, I, I don't murder. Why? Because there's a law? No, because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't commit adultery. Why? Because there's a law? No, because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul is just helping them to understand, wow, there's a huge difference here. And what these other people were peddling, because they were peddling that, oh, Christ is great, but you need something else along with it. He's saying that's inferior. That's inferior to what I am teaching you about the gospel, and it's Christ alone. Because now you are not just, you're not following the law, you're following the promise. And so then we get to the end here, and he gives the great crescendo. How many of you are musical, and you know what that means? You know what that means? The great crescendo. That's in music when you start out low, and you build and build and build. I always think of this when Easter, Resurrection Sunday comes around. Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus, my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus, my Lord. And that's usually how we sing it. And then we get to the chorus, and it's up from the grave he arose. With a mighty triumph for his foes, he arose the victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints. To reign, am I the only one that knows this? He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Yeah, that's crescendo, okay? So so that's what, I I just did that, because I want you to realize, when Paul gets to this 26, 27, 28, 29, it's kind of like the crescendo when he gets to these statements and he's speaking to these Gentile Christians who who he wants them to know of their assurance in Christ alone. He says, "You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are all." And then in verse 27, then in verse 27 he goes on to say, "For all of you who were baptized into Christ, has clothed yourselves with Christ. All of you, all of you, you've gotten some new clothing. You've got new clothes, and it's a promise from God that you are wearing now. And then he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. That's the next verse. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's, there's. Don't look at your nationality anymore. There's neither slave nor free. Don't look at your social standings anymore. There's neither male nor female. Don't even look at your sex anymore. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now you have a new identity, an identity that supersedes any other identity that you could possibly have. Now all of those things, are you a certain nationality? Yes. Are you a certain social standing? Yes. Are you a certain sex? Yes. Kind of thing. Those things don't go away, but this identity supersedes everything else. And I think that's where we get in trouble a lot of times in our world and even in our churches is that we forget or we get hung up on our nationality or we get hung up on our social status or we get hung up on what gender we are rather than pronouncing what is in common with us, that we are in Christ Jesus. He is our identity. He is who we we worship. Then he gives the big if-then statement. We're at the end here. If you belong to Christ, you, then you are Abraham's seed. You are part of that seed. You are in Christ. He is the, Christ is the seed and heirs according to the promise. You are inherit. You have the inheritance of the promise. And what is the inheritance of the promise? That you have righteousness. It's not your own righteousness. It's a righteousness that has been given to you. It's a righteousness through Jesus Christ. And therefore, Gentile Christians who have been told there's something else. Mm, no, no, don't go for it. There's a promise that you have from God. No mediator that's needed. So I, I was thinking, did I have an arse- Yeah, so what's the big, so what? So what? Well, I think it's important because, again, we go back to, we are protectors and preservers and proclaimers of the gospel of Christ alone. We are the protectors of it. We are the preservers of it. And we are the proclaimers of Christ alone. It's so important because we live in a world that has so many divisions. We live in a world that has so many, uh, one person over another person kind of thing. And, and, and if you could just, I mean, if we could transport back into that time. When Paul, it doesn't matter to Paul who he's talking to. He's not going, oh, there's a Jewish person. I'll talk to that person. It, oh, you know, he, he, it didn't matter. He'd throw him in prison. What did he do? Start are talking to the soldiers, you know, about Jesus Christ. If we could transport ourselves back to that time and see this montage of people that were coming together, ones that were slave, uh, social status was a slave, and those that were free. Ones that were male, ones that were female. Ones that were Jews, ones that were Gentiles. And they were psh, all coming together. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. And their new identity was because of him, and that promise. that's why it's so important to us is that we need to preserve that it's in Christ alone that anyone is saved, not by the law, not by any works of man, but only by the grace of God. It made me think um, and worship team can make their start making their way up here. It made me think of this. Um, we have many historical events where there is um, uh, Christians um, who have suffered persecution. Um, we think of the them in the lions uh, in the Colosseum in the lions, and or we think of some later on being burned at the stake. Um, we think of uh, Justin's Book of Martyrs, and you can read all these different stories about Christians who were persecuted, and. When you read those stories and you look at that, they were not trying to protect themselves. They were not running out of the arena. They were not looking for a way to untie the ropes that, were, that tied them to the stake. They weren't looking to protect themselves. The reason they were at the stake and the reason they were in the, in the arena was because they were going to preserve the gospel. That it is in Christ alone. And so any persecution that we might come across, may we may we be doing the same thing. May we not look to protect ourselves. That's, that's fear. That's being operating on fear. But may we always be looking at how do we preserve the gospel, proclaim the gospel. When you do that, you'll stand in faith. You will stand in faith. So would you stand in faith with us tonight? Into this service, let me give a prayer, and then we'll sing this final song. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for Paul kind of going over this over and over again, just different angles, different ways of looking at it. And we are so thankful for the law. We are so thankful that the law was added. It was because of our sins, but it was added that protected us and pointed us to you, that we needed a Savior for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so we need a Savior. But Lord, we are so thankful that we are people of the promise, not of the law, but of the promise, a promise made from you to each and every person who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. You have received the righteousness. We have received the righteousness of Christ. We don't deserve it, but you've given it. So I pray this morning, Lord, for those who may have heard the gospel for the very first time. Or that they would turn and repent and, and follow after you. They would say, he is my savior. And I would pray for those of us who have heard the gospel many times and have accepted the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. That we would look at our lives and say, oh, I don't want to protect my life. I want to I preserve I want to preserve the gospel that others would know that there is a God in heaven who sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. And it's because of him that I live my life the way I do. May we be preservers, protectors, proclaimers of the true gospel, and that gospel is Christ alone. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing to him.